This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. I'm insecure. I live in a world where actually I've been conditioned to think that I should be at the bottom of the hierarchy ladder. And therefore, it's a miracle that I'm even where I am. Let's let's give myself credit for that. Welcome to Imposters, a podcast from The Telegraph. Have you ever had that creeping feeling that you don't belong somewhere or that you don't deserve your success? even though you know deep down that's not true? Yeah, me too. I'm Claire Cohen, The Telegraph's women's editor and co-founder of our Women Mean Business initiative. In this podcast, we square up to imposter syndrome and demand to know what its deal is. In each episode, I talk to a woman who is out there carving a successful career in a challenging industry, whether that's food or film, fashion, or even flying to the moon. I want to know if they've ever experienced imposter syndrome. If so, what convinced them to keep going anyway? If not, what's their secret? So without further ado, let's meet this week's imposter. My guest this week is not only one of the most recognisable faces on British television, she's also got one of the most recognisable laughs. Her list of achievements is vast. Presenter, campaigner writer, next-level networker, and the BBC's first director of creative diversity. In 2007, she became one of the youngest people ever awarded an MBE for her services to broadcasting and charity, followed up by an OBE in 2020. So with a CV like that, it's pretty hard to imagine she could ever feel like a fraud. Let's find out. Welcome to Imposters, June Sarpong. Hello, Claire. Always good to see you. So I've got a confession, first of all. Go on. So we're sat here in the Telegraph studio. June looking incredibly glamorous, I must say, having just come from filming TV. You Mm. looking stunning too. Me less so, having just walked (laughs) over from my desk, I must say. Well, this is the desk. (laughs) Then I I don't want to see the red carpet because this is quite impressive. (laughs) So my confession is I spent my teenage years watching you on T4, (laughs) interviewing everyone from... Brad Pitt to Britney Spears to George Clooney, you name it. And now I'm sitting here in this studio about to interview you. 
And I mean, I don't feel like I should be here, right? I don't feel like I belong. I mean, frankly, I do feel like a bit of an imposter. You don't, you don't interview the interviewer. Does that resonate with you? Oh, that definitely resonates with me. And can I let you into a little secret? Go on. It never leaves you. Oh, good news. Every interview I do, I still feel like an imposter. Doesn't matter who it is. It's it's not a natural environment, is it? It's not a natural sort of thing to do, you know, sort of talking to someone with a microphone in front of you and cameras Very and whatever. True. So, yeah, I, I, I don't think that imposter thing leaves you. Good news. Thank you. Thank you. Sorry, <laughs> I haven't depressed you already, have I? <laughs> so I'm going to take you back and ask you, if you can recall the first time you ever felt like an imposter or maybe the first time you received messaging as a child that you might not be entitled to do something. Oh, what a great question. First of all, can I say what a great idea for a series? You may and, say. And I think, it, uh, well, I'm glad. I'm, <laughs> I've said it and I'll say it throughout our interview. And I think a, a series that's really important, particularly for women, because we are conditioned from day one uh, to feel uh, like imposters and to feel that, you know, we're only worth so much. And I think for me, um, I got that messaging, not necessarily from my home, because my family are Ghanaian. And Ghanaian culture is very much a matriarchal society. So I was raised by very strong women, very opinionated women. And I was raised in a household where my point of view mattered. But I realized very early on outside of my home that that wasn't necessarily the case. And I remember at school and, you know, these things, when you're young, you don't think anything of them, but they do seep in and they do sort of impact the way you interact with the world. And I remember as a kid, my teachers, and this was on all of my report cards throughout, which was a very able student talks too much, needs to listen more. No, I'm so shocked. (laughs) And, you know, after a while, that does impact Mm. you. Everywhere you go, all they say is you talk too much. Um, And, you know, what does that mean? That means actually that what you're saying doesn't matter. When you sort of really break it down, that is kind of what it means. And I heard that throughout um, my childhood. And I do think it definitely had an impact. So how did it make you feel? Well, I think it was one of those things where I just thing was I loved talking so it wasn't something I could control (laughs) which is a good thing I suppose so you know I'd always talk but I would also be aware that not everybody responded to my curiosity as, as a good thing and I was also aware that actually if you wanted to be accepted sometimes it was better to hold yourself back and to um not be as loud or as um, gregarious or as as sort of expressive as I can be. So basically the message you were getting is that you couldn't be yourself. Yeah. It was a bad thing to yeah. be who you yeah. really were. Yeah, yeah. I think also uh, developing a, a sense of self in terms of feeling uh, acceptable and um, attractive and all of those things definitely was something that I had to... Uh, Develop because when I was growing up, there were very few women of color um, in the media, uh, very few uh, women of color that were celebrated. And again, like I said, back to the strong women I was raised by, thank goodness I had these great women around me who were very confident um, and who really uh, owned uh, their beauty and owned their place in the world uh, and were very proud of themselves culturally. But definitely the outside world told me the opposite. And as a kid, I 
for sure experience uh, a lot of self-doubt and insecurity about that in you know being a young black girl in London there wasn't much outside of my home reaffirming that Mm. and saying this is who you are this is where you belong Um, so that was definitely something that I had to sort of work on and that was something that I think my mother and my aunts um, and my older sister uh, were really instrumental in in making sure that I developed a sense of self. And I do think that that is something that parents of children of colour, when they are raised in the West, have to work harder at because the external doesn't validate in the same way. I'm wondering whether there's something else in your uh, teenage years that mm. might have made you feel like an imposter or out of sync with your peers, because I know you had a really serious road accident. I did, yeah. Can you tell me a bit about that? Yeah, for sure. I was knocked over um, when I was, I think I was about 14 at the time, and I uh, dislocated my vertebrae, um, which meant that I didn't walk for like a year. And then I had to wear a neck brace. Imagine your teenage years when you're insecure anyway. That's really not a good time. And so I had this neck brace on and literally everywhere I went, it was the elephant in the room. And you, so I really have empathy for those from our disabled communities because Everybody wants to ask. It's amazing. It's amazing. You meet somebody and they see something that's physically different and straight away they feel that they have a right to bring that up, first of all, before they even get to know you as a person. It was it was bizarre. And if they didn't ask, it was the elephant in the room. So therefore, I felt I had to volunteer that information. Um, and so I was very, uh, very self-conscious at the time. But because I was also so grateful to be (laughs) walking and Mm. better uh, or getting better, um, it also allowed me not to focus too much on that. Because I think if if I had, I probably would have become very, very self-conscious and shut myself off. So in a way, I sort of forced myself not to allow uh, it to overtake me. That's incredible strength of character for somebody who's 14 or 15 years old. Yeah, yeah. Well, I had no choice. Yeah. Yep. Now, you'd mentioned how supportive your family were, Mm. but I think I read somewhere that you once said that when you left school and started your first job, got your first work experience, your mum cried every day. Oh, God. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, they they were totally horrified. They thought I was bringing shame on the family. Again... You know, with African families, education is everything. And particularly when you're an immigrant, you, the whole point of coming here is to get an education. And so the idea that I wasn't getting one was just something that was way too much for them to uh, handle. And I remember <laughs> we had this awful family meeting. These, I don't know, did your family do that? Well, you have Not family... Really. Okay. No, no, we're more of the kind of bottle it up, put a cork in it. Okay, type. right. We do yeah. that too. We do that too. But in this case, because it was so shameful, they couldn't put a cork in it. <laughs> so they literally flew in all my aunts and uncles from Ghana and then aunts and uncles from all over the country who I'd never met before and literally they were telling me how much shame I was bringing on the family and how dare you do this and all of this stuff and the only person who stood by me was my father and he said I'm going to give you a year and if this radio nonsense doesn't work out then you're going to university 
And luckily it worked out. And the funny thing is now my mum's like, oh, yes, I said follow your dreams. <laughs> She's owning it now. She's owning it now. That. I was like, dude, like, mm, not quite how I remember it. But I'm hey. really interested that you just said luckily it worked out then. Yeah. Because obviously one of the symptoms that's often put forward about imposter syndrome yeah. is that you believe that you don't deserving success yeah. that you didn't achieve it yourself yeah. surely saying luckily is imposter syndrome it is imposter syndrome and I own it and also I think I don't know tell me if your imposter syndrome is the same so mine is weird it's it's not that it's not that I don't believe I can do whatever it is I know I'm capable it's that I don't believe I deserve it or that I'm truly worthy of it you know like how I'm so impressed the way particularly men where they just they have such a sense of entitlement I would love to have that Mm. I really would and even you know I try not to let it stop me but you know and a lot of people don't realize even though I'm very outgoing there's also quite a shy side to me too so I'm both and actually it's one of those where there's always that voice in the background and sometimes it takes over sometimes it doesn't but that, it's that does resonate with me because yes. it's, not, it's not that I say no to doing things yes I will always make myself say yes, yes. but then I will agonise yes for ages before yes. doing it and think why did I say yes why did- they must have only asked me after they'd asked 50 <laughs> other people I am definitely scraping the bottom of the yeah, barrel yeah. here yeah. And, and I put myself through this yeah. process of agony even though it doesn't need to be that way. And also, even that whole idea of scraping the bottom of the barrel, that is where our ego take over because actually it doesn't matter. Even if you're the last person on the list, if you're the one that delivers, that thing could change your life. Do you see what I mean? But you're still thinking, okay. oh, but yeah, they wanted blah, blah, and they didn't get blah, blah. It's so bizarre, that. It's so bizarre. I want to take you back to that yeah. first job, which yes. was at Kiss FM. <laughs> yes. And you were 16. I was, yeah. I mean, I did my first work experience at 16 and it was awful. I sort of was <laughs> cringing was the whole time. It was at a national newspaper. Okay, it was still good. Not this one. Yeah. And yeah, it was amazing. But yeah. I felt dreadful. I cringed the whole time. I spent loads of it hiding in the loo. It was dreadful. I mean, I was 16 years old. So how did you cope? being thrown in at the deep end to a career at the age of 16 when you must have been working with people who were much older than you. And who were famous and established. You know, this was at a time where Kiss had just uh, become legal and a lot of the DJs were sort of superstar DJs in their um, uh, fields. And, and, you know, we were lucky. We were around them all. There was like a a list of music talent. Um, I think with that, and I, it's so weird. I think my imposter syndrome has maybe gotten worse as I've gotten older, actually. Because I think when I was younger, I was um, uh, much more fearless. And I don't think I thought that much about failure in the same way. Whereas when you have failed a few times and you've had the knocks, it starts to sort of set in and... So I think it's different. I think sometimes it's actually easier when you're young and you're naive and you don't know anything, actually. So when I started at KISS, I was so young. And also, don't forget, I had the neck brace, so people did feel sorry for me as well. You still have that when you were working? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, wow. yeah I went there. with. Well, I had it on for three years. So yeah, I went there with neck brace. But it meant that people uh, remembered me, that was for sure. <laughs> I mean, every cloud has a silver lining, right? Every cloud has a silver Oh, the girl with the neck brace. Oh, yeah, 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 I know her. So, <laughs> so, so it meant that people remembered me. It meant that people were actually nicer to me. 
Um, and I think that in a funny way, it kind of actually did help. Um, and so, yeah. So, But at the same time, because I was so young, so naive, I was just so excited to be there. I didn't have the time to sort of be as... Um, uh, as insecure as I later became when I got older. That's so interesting. That really mm. resonates with me Doesn't as well. Doesn't it? Yeah. I think yeah. I was complete. I think fearless is one more for it. I think it was naivety in my case. And I like, like it. I want this. <laughs> I, want it back. I want to work here. I'm going yeah. to lock on the door until and why not? it happens. Yeah. I would never do that now. I would never do that now. I'd be far too scared. I know, too scared. <laughs> so your imposter syndrome has got worse as yeah. you got older. So I know that you've named it. Can yeah. you tell me about that? Yes, of course. So in, in Ghana, sort of a name that most sort of uppity, uptight people uh, give their daughter is Agnes. So there's two big names. Oh, comfort, I love that name. Yeah, Comfort and Agnes. For some reason, there are not many comforts in Britain. But you go to Ghana, you'll meet millions of comforts and millions of Agnes, Agneses. And we say Aggie. <laughs> sort of the nickname is, oh, Aggie. Anyway, so, so I was like, what am I going to call my imposter syndrome? Because it was just getting ridiculous and it was getting in the way and stopping me doing so many things. And I thought, in the way that Beyonce has Sasha Fierce for mm-hmm. her confident self. I wanted a name for my insecure self. So that way, when she was taking over a situation, I would be aware of it and I could decide whether or not I was going to, you know, fall into the insecurity or if I was going to interrupt that pattern and do something else. And so a, a dear friend of mine, we were sort of on the phone and we were talking and we were both sort of lamenting about our sort of the times when we had not done what we wanted to do or where we were wrecked with nerves and blah, blah, blah. And so I was telling her this and she was like, yeah. And I said, you know what? And I've got the name. This is the name that sort of anyone who's a bit sort of full of themselves, a bit uptight, whatever, in Ghana is called Agnes. And so she was like... (laughs) Agonist. So I was like, yep, let's do it. So we named her. <laughs> She's still running rife, let me tell you. Running rush all over the place. So you said <laughs> she was stopping you. She, let's call her she. She, she. she was stopping you doing things. What, Like what? what? Can you give me an example? Yeah, so I'll give you an example. This one in particular really um, stuck with me and was one of the reasons why I decided that I needed to sort of take control. Was years ago, I was... Um, uh, living in the States, and um, I'd been invited by uh, Bill Clinton's team uh, to present at CGI, which was the Clinton Global Initiative, which was an event he used to do every year and bring the great and the good together to sort of pledge to help people in the developing world and also people from poor communities in America. Anyway, so I'd been invited to come and speak and, you know, you name it, the great and the good were there. It was like, you know, Obama, you name it. It was insane. So I, I was so excited to be there. And it was a three-day event. And the first day, I was feeling really good. I was confident. I was on stage. I was fine. I was calm. Uh, backstage chit-chatting with all of these people, fine. And then the next day, that voice set in of, you know, you don't belong here. Who do you think you are? Blah, 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 blah. And there was a guy, a guy, his name's Joachim Zeitz, who used to be um, head of Puma. And I was doing an event that I really wanted him to speak at and I couldn't find him. You know, with these, whenever you put on events, you're looking for people and, you know, there's always someone who knows someone to get whoever it is. But with this person, I had no links to him whatsoever. I couldn't find him. And the universe sits him next to me at this event. 
He smiles at me. He seems very friendly. Claire, I couldn't say a word. And I'm like, what are you doing? Ask him. I didn't say a word. So then he gets up to leave. I'm furious with myself for not actually asking. So I'm like walking out of the room and I go and stand in the um, lobby area. Wait for this. The universe gives me another chance. He then somehow appears from nowhere and stands right by me, smiles again. I still don't ask. And then he leaves. And that moment I was like, how many times have I done that? And I and the reason why I really checked myself is because there have been the times where I have actually approached somebody who asked and it's led to great things. Mm. So I know what can come out of actually pushing past your insecurity. But, you know, sometimes you just completely feel trapped and, and stuck. And so that was when I decided to name and shame it. And I think for me, when I'm aware of it, I'm much more... Uh, I feel much stronger to not sort of succumb to it in the same way. That's really incredible to me because mm. I've been in many situations at parties or whatever, yeah. networking situations yeah. where I have done the same thing. But June, what you need to know about June is if you need to be connected with someone <laughs> or you can't get hold of someone, they're not in your orbit, June knows them. I mean, she knows everyone. So that's really incredible to me that even you... Couldn't network with this particular yeah, guy. Yeah, it happens to us all. It really does. So does Agnes still get you sometimes All now? the time, so all the time. Do you reproach yourself when that happens? Do you go home and really ruminate on it and beat yourself up? I used to. I used to badly, like, again, that example, all the time. But now not so much because now, now I, this is why naming it was for me, a way of getting some control back because then I don't beat myself up in the same way. I know what it is. I'm like, you know what? I'm insecure. I live in a world where actually I've been conditioned to think that I should be at the bottom of the um, hierarchy ladder and therefore it's a miracle that I'm even where I am. Let's, Let's give myself credit for that. So, you know, I sort of try not to beat myself up as much. But, yeah, but but for sure it still leads often. When was the most recent time? Most recent? Oh, God, there's so many. So uh, the other day, um, without sounding sort of flashy, um, I was in a um, private members club sort of thing. And um, and in the lift, I saw somebody who I know, and they were like, oh, we're going to be up on the whatever floor, come and um, uh, see us. And then I went up onto that floor and they were with someone who I really admire, like really, really admire. And I was too scared to go because I was like, oh no, what if the person's not who I think they are? And, do you know what I mean? And I literally went back downstairs and didn't go and say. You've got to tell us who this person is. <laughs> it was Richard Branson. And so <laughs> I don't know, I've met him before, but I don't know, this was too intimate. But come on, I mean, you're the woman who spent two days shadowing Tony Blair. Yeah, that was for one work. One-on-one. That you've was had, for work. Well, you've had one-on-ones <laughs> with, you know, Gordon Brown and with Bill Clinton. I mean, surely if there's ever a time to feel like an imposter, it is when you are given FaceTime with a world leader in that way. I think it's easier when it's for work. I think it's much harder when it's social. I really do. I think when it's social and there is no um, veneer up or whatever it is, Yeah, it's too real. In the way that I'm much more comfortable speaking in front of a huge audience than a small audience. So do you really compartmentalise your professional self and your personal self? I think I do. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's almost like I go into autopilot with my professional self and 
you, I feel much more exposed with my personal self. You mentioned big audiences then. Mm. I mean, obviously, you famously hosted Nelson Mandela's 90th yes, birthday. Yes, I'd rather that than 10 people. Yeah. That's amazing to me. So was that not an imposter syndrome experience? No, 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 no. no. I loved it. Yeah, I loved every minute of that. And I wasn't nervous at all throughout the whole thing. I was like, bring it on. But if it had been, you know, five people in the room, Mm. no, not so much. I mentioned T4 earlier. Mm. And you started your career on youth entertainment pop TV. Youth, yeah. Youth, as it was. As it was. (laughs) Hangover TV. Hangover TV, yeah. Um, But you've gone on to present Newsnight and Mm. appear on Question Time Mm. and you're now a panellist on The Pledge. Which we love, yeah. Was that an easy jump or did you feel out of place swapping one for the other? I think back to the imposter syndrome thing. You know, it's so funny. I um, went straight into work and didn't go to university. And when I was doing pop programs, it didn't matter. And to be honest with you, I've never felt insecure about not going to university. I don't believe that that's the only uh, form of education there is. I think that the education of life is quite (laughs) important too. Um, But I do think that it definitely um, negatively impacted the way that I was perceived by uh, program makers and commissioners when I wanted to start doing much more serious stuff. And so I found that a lot of them didn't take me seriously or didn't think that I would understand the issues or any of that stuff. Funnily enough, it was never the politicians or the people in those um, sectors. It was actually the people in my own industry. And, And then I just carried on doing pop stuff. And what made me really push forward was when I moved to America. I think moving to America was so good for my insecure self because the thing with America is that can-do attitude runs through the DNA of, of, of the country and it's in everyone. So whoever you meet, even the cab driver is trying to do something else. Do you see what mm. I mean? The postman has got a business on the side. You know, that that's America. And I think when you're around that energy, it really does lift you up. And people are willing to take a chance on you. So when I moved there, uh, luckily I knew uh, uh, Sarah Brown very well. She was in the States and she was doing a dinner. And her... Uh, Ariana Huffington and Donna Karen basically decided they were going to give myself and a friend of mine a chance to put on an event. We'd never done one before. And they were like, we believe in you, do it. And somehow we managed to do it. And I think that changed everything for me. And because I was around all of these, you know, amazing opinion formers and change agents and activists and people who were really doing all that they could to change the world, it really sort of emboldened me and it made me think, well, actually, if I'm not pushing past the status quo in that, you know, I've had a really privileged career, I've been lucky. And if I'm not pushing past and, and, and actually challenging the status quo, then who should be? And so when I came back, I was like, no, I'm not having it. Why shouldn't I? And, you know, I had many people sort of say no and turn me down, but I was like, okay, I'll do it myself. As a teenager, somebody once told me that, this is probably going to sound very arrogant, I don't mean Mm. it to, but that I shouldn't think about uh, having an intellectual career. I should instead think about trading on my looks more. You've got some good looks, girl. 
Move and on. intellect too. <laughs> Imposter syndrome strikes. Um, and actually, I think that was a very throwaway comment for them. Mm. But that's something that's really stuck with me. Yeah. And every time I'm in a situation where I really yeah. have to dig deep into my grey matter, yeah. 15 years on, maybe more, I think of that. Yes. And it gives me imposter syndrome. Yeah. And I wondered whether you had an example of something that yeah. the person who said it to you would probably find quite shocking that yeah. had stuck with you. But yes. That you think Agnes thinks. Yes. It's like it's a big deal. Yeah. A, a few times. Back to the whole trading on your looks thing. I think this is one of the areas that, oh my God, for women is such a big thing. Because sadly, and we have to be honest, society still primarily values us on that, values us on beauty and youth. Those are the two attributes that are most valued in women in our society. And as a result of it, it pits women against each other. And it also makes women doubt themselves in so many ways. And I think for me, the times where that's happened, has happened a couple of times. So one was, uh, I remember when I was, I think, 19 And I had just started at MTV and our show uh, was doing very well. I was doing a show with uh, Richard Blackwood at the time and our show was one of the number one uh, rated shows on um, the network. And so Sky Magazine uh, did a shoot with all of the MTV girls. I mean, it's terrible. That's what we were called at the time. You'd never get away with that now. Um, And the girls were uh, uh, Kat Dealey, Sarah Cox, um, uh, uh, Lisa Snowden, I think, was she there at that time? Donna Eyre, anyway, all of the MTV girls. And the only person that wasn't included was me. And so it later transpired that it wasn't even Sky Magazine that hadn't included me. The PR team at MTV didn't think I was appropriate for a beauty shoot. Appropriate. Appropriate. And we know what they meant by that. And I was... Tell me what you think they meant by that. I know what they meant by that, that they did not think a black girl was appropriate for a beauty shoot. So they used all of the white girls and the one with possibly one of the highest, if not the highest rated show, wasn't included. And it was... And I was so young at the time, it really, really knocked my confidence. Like, it really did. Throughout my career, things like that would happen a lot because, as you know, our media's gotten, you work in the media, you understand, it's got a lot better. But when I was starting out, it was, you know, I hate to use the word racist, but it was. And you would often find, I would often find I would be booked to do a, a shoot or whatever and then last minute dropped. All of this stuff, it would happen again and again. And so those were the things that would sort of start seeping in. And so for a while, I was like, I'm not doing anything because all of that sort of rejection was really horrible to take. And so now what I found is that actually I kind of had to make a choice that the the route that was available for my colleagues wasn't necessarily available for me. And I was not going to use that to define myself. I was actually going to carve out a route that was very unique. And so therefore I had a unique place in the sort of media landscape, as it were. So I think part of the reason why I started doing all the things, you were asking why I was doing politics and all that, I was very passionate about it anyway. But also I knew the sort of traditional route was not possible for me at that time. And I have to say, for sure, it's gotten better. 
And I'm so excited when I see sort of the younger TV presenters that are coming through from very diverse backgrounds that are doing wonderful things. It just, you know, it lifts my spirits. It's great to see. Well, it seems like a good moment to mention that you've <laughs> written Diversify recently. Darling! A brilliant book all about inclusivity yeah. and how we can overcome our unconscious biases. Yes. And you've been, I mean, you've been very open here. You've been mm. very open in the past about how you think race has played a part in you not being offered jobs. Yes! How much of a role did it play in your imposter syndrome? Or do you think imposter syndrome, by and large, cuts across gender, race, age? I think it, it by and large, cuts across gender, race, age. But depending on whatever it is that you have to deal with, it just adds another layer. So if you are somebody that deals with weight issues in a society that is obsessed with being thin and being whatever these ideal size is considered to be, then you're dealing with another layer of things to feel bad about yourself about. Do you see what I mean? Mm. So I think it cuts across. But obviously, depending on how much you have to deal with, you, you're adding and adding and adding and adding to the different layers of imposter syndrome. So you once said that every woman's number one role model should be herself. Yeah. Which, June, to me is absolutely insane. I'm never going to be my number one role <laughs> you model. You should be. Michelle Obama is no, way up there no, ahead of Michelle me. Michelle Obama's got Michelle Obama. <laughs> you well, Claire Cohen. Sorry, love. You are your role model. Well, are you your own number one role model? <laughs> I'm trying, yeah. Well, you know what it is? Cause, and, and I'll sort of clarify what I meant by that. What I meant by that is... The reason why we beat ourselves up about our imposter syndrome is because we know who we really are. We know the side of ourselves that isn't wrecked with insecurity and isn't riddled with self-doubt. We know who that person is and we know what that person can do. And if that person was the person that showed up every day, oh my God, she'd be our role model. And so what I mean is actually make that your role model and every day do whatever you can to get closer to becoming her. And and that's what Michelle Obama did. You know, Michelle Obama 15 years ago is not the woman that we see now. And I think that's what we all have to sort of remind ourselves. That actually, our true self is kind of freaking awesome. But so much has been sort of chucked on us to make us forget who that person is. So as well as giving your imposter syndrome a name, mm. are there other practical things you do to work towards becoming your own number one role yeah, model? Yeah, I mean, this sounds really weird. And I mean, some people might think it's ridiculous. But I really love affirmations. Do you know what they are? I do. Yeah, I love affirmations. I think that as we're constantly hearing ne negative things about ourselves, we should make sure that we're countering that with positive stuff. I think mirror work is very good. <laughs> sounds a bit ridiculous, but it, I think it helps. Tell me where, what you mean by that. Yeah, so where you stand in the mirror and you say nice things to yourself. Because often we stand in the mirror and think, oh, I look awful, I wish this, I wish that. Actually, if you can replace that with something positive, that again is sort of reprogramming your subconscious to start seeing yourself in a much more positive light. I think surround yourself with good people. Don't be around people who sort of knock you down or people who don't see your brilliance. Instead, surround yourself with people who see you for who you really are, even when you're not seeing yourself in that way. And also know when it's time to leave. I think particularly for women at work, we're so loyal and we're often loyal to places that aren't loyal to us, actually, aren't we? Isn't it? We're mm. so loyal. And that sometimes whatever it is your progression, um, your trajectory should be, 
it might not happen in the place you're in. And sometimes you have to almost leave to be truly appreciated somewhere else. It's a weird thing. So I think with our careers, we need to be much more like men. Men aren't as wedded and stuck to wherever it is that they are. They're much more uh, focused on where it is they want to get to. So if if you're not being nurtured in your current uh, place of work, when it's time to go, know when it's time to go. Now, we were talking just before and you mentioned being able to silence your inner critic, yes. if you like. And this is really hard to talk about and I hope mm. you don't mind, but mm. we have something really awful in common because I know you lost your brother yes. um, in 2015 mm. when he sadly took mm. his own life. Mm. And I lost my brother two mm. years ago to cancer. Oh, good God. And part of how I've coped with that mm. is to try and let go of anything I can't control. Yes. And it really sounds like a cliche, but yeah. I do say yeah. it is what it is yeah. all the time now. Yeah. Um, and actually, I've focused on what I can control. Mm. And that has helped me to silence mm. my inner critic a little yeah. bit. Yeah, yeah. And I just really wondered whether that resonated with you. It totally resonates. And I, and I wonder if it was the same for you. I think, you know, when you experience any kind of trauma, what happens is you realise that everything and nothing matters at the same time. That's so true. So you realise that, oh my God, you can't take anything for granted and nobody's promised tomorrow. Like people people die, you know, and one thing's for certain, no one's getting out of here alive. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know anybody who has managed to cheat death. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to meet them if they exist. So the one thing we know for sure is that there will come a time when we're no longer here. And I think that that makes you really appreciate the little things. But at the same time, you also realize that it's not worth sweating the small stuff because sometimes you can get the kind of news that just rocks your world and everything that you thought you knew, it completely just throws it all on its head. And I think when you've experienced that, then everything and nothing matters at the same time. Part of that control, I guess, is actually talking about imposter syndrome. Do you, yes. How important do you think it is for us to make ourselves vulnerable and talk about it I, like we are? I think we have to because we see people and you think, oh, they've got it going on. They, they're they so sorted. They don't feel this way. Chances are they are. Chances are they're faking it till they make it, but they're just faking it really well. And so we're thinking, oh, my God, it, that person's got it. And chances are they don't. And I'm wondering, do would we even want to countenance the opposite of imposter syndrome i mean what would that be entitlement syndrome or no. something along those lines. Oh, i mean God, isn't that no. arguably yeah. even worse to be the sort of person that sort of makes great confident pronouncements and jumps cues and is alpha all the time because we talk about imposter syndrome as a negative thing but the alternative we wouldn't want to be the opposite would we no we wouldn't want to be that but i think what we would want to be is confidence syndrome which is just you're confident with who you are no, you're never going to question why you deserve something. I mean, imagine that. That must feel great. That must feel great. And you, we know it feels great when there are moments when you do feel that way. Because there are moments where you're like, yeah, okay. There are moments, oh, Lord, help me. And so I think the the, the, the opposite really is, is just being 100% at ease with yourself and feeling uh, that you have a right to be here and the right to be wherever it is that you want to be. Why not? It's got to be someone. Why not you? And often we're saying, why should it be me? 
So do you think your imposter syndrome will get better or worse? I'm working on it. Oh, no. Oh, no, I refuse to let it get worse. Oh, my goodness. Lord, help us. If that got worse, I've got no chance. So no, 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 no. It will get better. <laughs> it will get better. Yeah, 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 yeah. I refuse. It must get better. Yeah. So if you could tell your 16-year-old self uh, just stepping through the door at yeah, Kiss FM, yeah. starting out on this amazing career, what would you say to her? Uh... The way you're feeling now, bottle it because you will lose it at some point and you're going to need it again. So that's what I would say. Bottle it. The way I felt at 16, I would love to feel that way now. Would love to. Wouldn't we all? Yeah, love to. June Sarpong, thank you so much for talking to me about your imposter syndrome. And what a great show. Congratulations. I love this. I look forward to listening to the rest. Thank you so much to June Sarpong for being this week's imposter. And I suppose I should thank Agnes as well. It is extraordinary to me that somebody as confident, outgoing, loud as June could experience imposter syndrome in the same way that we all do. And that it affects her so much that she's given it a name. I hope you feel a little bit reassured by her confessions and that some of her practical advice will help you overcome your own imposter syndrome. Please do remember to follow our podcast so that you get a notification when the next episode is out. And if you use Apple Podcasts, why not give us a rave review? Finally, you can read more from me, Claire Cohen, by taking out a free 30-day subscription to The Telegraph. Go to telegraph.co.uk forward slash audio. Goodbye. Imposters was produced by Maddie Hickish and Theodora Leloudis. Sound mixing was by Elliot Lampett and it was a Listen Entertainment production for The Telegraph. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.